Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. You can follow me on Twitter at FTCNHost. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we go back to AOC Europe, which was held in Bonn, Germany on May 15th to 17th. Now, as many of you know, while I was there, I live streamed episodes and special segments each day using Twitter Spaces. Uh, This is the first time we did this. It was a great opportunity and a great chance to talk to people at the show. Uh, A few awkward pauses and moments uh, since it was the inaugural effort, but overall it was a great success. Uh, We had some great guests and co-hosts during the week, uh, some interesting discussions and some fun talking to exhibitors and attendees. So I wanted to take some highlights from from day one at the show and bring them to you. Uh, On the first day of AOC Europe, I welcomed John Knowles, editor-in-chief of AOC's Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance, a military fiction author and EW expert, retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Jeffrey Fisher, uh, AOC President Brian Hinckley, and retired U.S. Marine Corps Colonel Mark Magrum, who is now the president of Atkinson Aeronautics and Technology. Uh, We will bring you cut-ups of the other days and segments to you throughout the summer, but uh, in the meantime, enjoy this look into AOC Europe 2023. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to From the Crow's Nest, live from AOC Europe. I am your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Uh, This is the inaugural live stream effort of our podcast, and I am pleased to be here with a great crew of co-hosts and speakers for the week. So welcome, everyone, and glad that you could join us. Uh, So this is day one of AOC Europe. So today's show is going to be more about introduction of AOC Europe and the theme of multi-domain operations and kind of what are some of the questions that we need to be asking and what do we expect to hear so great show ahead. So just to get started, I wanted to bring uh, Colonel Jeff Fisher and John Knowles uh, up up to up to this up to speaking, and just wanted to at, start with a very basic question. Okay, so and, and Colonel Fisher, you're you're here, Jeff, you're here at AOC Europe. John, you are back home on the East Coast, uh, unable to be here, but certainly uh, you know the the current issue of the Jed that we're circulating here talks a lot about. Uh, self-protection and that how European Defense Agency is focusing on that capability. So just as a real general question to get started, what are your thoughts heading into AOC Europe and what do you think in term you, you, you would like to hear or, uh, about multi-domain operations coming from this uh, audience here today? I'll turn it over to Jeff first. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for uh, hosting this. This is actually really, really awesome. I'm out here on the floor right now in front of the MBDA uh, booth, and uh, it's a, it's actually really impressive. There's a lot of people that have uh, a lot of the booths have tons of mock-ups. It's really uh, it's really really cool. Uh, I'm looking at a couple sp- uh, meteor missiles. I'm looking at a spear and a spear EW mock-up pod sitting out in front of me. 
and uh, and and I, I uh, I'm impressed uh, just in my first uh, two minutes, and it's not even open yet. I'm just I snuck in and started walking around, and everyone's looking at me actually pretty funny because I'm talking into my phone, and they don't know why I'm doing it just yet. So uh, I know this is a, a first do on Twitter Spaces. Um, we're gonna get some of the uh, we're gonna get some of the folks in the booths here to actually join in and talk to us. But you know, Ken, back to your kind of your question, right? What what do we want to do? I think. I think when we talk about yeah, um, electronic warfare and we talk about AOC in Europe and we look at, you know, European nations in general and, 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 and for the listeners who are out there who might not know me, I actually, although I'm retired, I live in Austria. I live in Europe. Um, I'm very, very familiar with European defense situations. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of nations are actually starting to invest. They're, they're investing heavily in their defense. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, the, the world is an uncertain place, uh, especially with what's going on in Ukraine uh, and Russia. Um, and, and so a lot of the defense budgets are picking up and people, I, I think a lot of nations don't just want to buy the traditional, you know, tanks and artillery and, and, and stuff like that. They're looking at what are the, what are some of the systems that are working really, really well in Ukraine? And I, I think we're going to have that. It's going to be some interesting talks in, in the, uh, the conference, right? And, and, and that's what one of the, that's the main topic of John Knoll's article, uh, latest edition of the Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance is how, how the European Defense Agency is focusing on self-protection. And you're seeing a lot more, you're seeing an increase in funding across the board in, 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 in countries. Um, and they're really kind of trying to figure out a way to expedite collaborative programs. And so, you know, bringing John in, you know, do you have anything you wanted to add to what Jeff was saying? Yeah, uh, Jeff uh, is super insightful on this and it's practice DW for Longer than, longer than most of us are. I don't know how to say it nicely. Longer than most of us have been alive. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> no. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the questions I always think about. Um, it, it's interesting to go when you talk about interoperability and and um, integration because everybody wants to just jump in and think that their systems are going to collaborate and work together. And they think what NATO has always done a really good job of is understanding what are the preconditions for coalition operations and when you get into emso that gets very complex um and that's i think one of the big questions i always ask is you know you, you see a lot of systems out there you see a lot of capability um but, but you really have to ask the question is how is that set up to work you know if it's a french system or italian or spanish how is that set up what what structures are in place to allow that system to to be interoperable or you know, in some way, uh, work together with other systems from other countries. And that, that's, that's not an easy thing. Um, partly because of the way we've built our EW largely in stovepipes. Um, but also just even like in a coalition, there's so much evolving, uh, technology coming together and there's legacy and new things like that. So it's a, it's a very complex question. I always am amazed that, um, that we've achieved what we've achieved so far. So, so, uh, Eric Bamford, AOC board director, has a question. Eric, do you want to speak up? Yeah. So, uh, so one of the things that goes to what John just talks about is the interoperability. That that goes back to uh, a podcast we had from the AOC uh, in October last year uh, on standardization and getting common standards as to how we integrate and how we approach things. So that is the kind of key workaround to, to get things to work together in, in our style environment. And that has to be fixed now while we're still not at war. Thanks, Eric. Um, and so, Jeff, I've had you on From the Crow's Nest for 
a, a couple times, given your, your expertise in, in what's going on in Ukraine, uh, how have you seen uh, NATO interoperability evolve over the last year? So, so that's a great question, and it's actually really, really timely, right? Because there was an article that came out um, with, uh, with General Cavoli, right, who uh, is the current, you know, UCOM commander, but also the Supreme Allied commander of, of, of uh, European forces. So he's in charge of all of that. And he just put out, uh, just interviewed and put out a, a, a speaking point. And it's really interesting. His, he, he, for the first time in NATO, actually has a comprehensive operation plan moving forward on what each nation should contribute and what they've all agreed to contribute to this comprehensive security construct of Europe, which, you know, up, up until now hasn't happened. And it's not a, a slight on the, the previous UCOM commanders. Um, I, I think it has more to do with the fact that Ukraine is, has created this, this unstable and uncertain uh, security space in Europe. Uh, and many nations have, have taken, taken note of that. Well, th- thanks, Jeff. Um, so I wanted to get touch a little bit, you know, directly on the theme of, uh, of, of the show here, which is, uh, you know, achieving multi-domain operations. Um, and when we talk about that, you know, it, it seems like a simple common term, but obviously, you know, I was, had John Knowles on the podcast on my last edition of the podcast that we were talking about the, the language difference that happens between U.S. and Europe and other regions. And so, you know, in, in talking about achieving multi-domain operations in the context of coalitions, uh, you know, there's a lot of different terminology we use. So, John, you know, what, what do we mean when we talk about integration and, and, and at what levels are we trying to focus that, that work on integration on? Yeah, so it's, it's important to define terms, right? Not only is there are lang- multiple languages involved, it's just the concepts are constantly evolving. So we have to be really good about defining what we mean by it and you know, figuring that out across you know, 30 nations if you're talking about NATO. But um, no, there's integration, there's interoperability, there's connectivity, there's different aspects of it, different layers or levels, so to speak. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it has to be operational integration. I think you really need to, you know, you need to have that. Um, that's what you're, that's what you're aiming for is everybody being able to, to, to fight together. Um, in, in, in that sense, you know, one of the things that underpins that is, you know, at the system level, weapon system level, in this, in the, in the, in the sensors and, and effectors on those weapon systems, you're, you need that interoperability. And so, um, it, again, I, you know, I always say it, it looks easy in a brochure. It's really hard in practice. So, uh, you know, we're talking about achieving multi-domain operations and coalition warfare as it pertains to electromagnetic spectrum operations. Um, and it's always been my the case that I've made on our from the Crozes podcast. So, really, if you look at you know. E- EMS superiority, electromagnetic spectrum superiority, is really the backbone of everything we want to achieve in multi-domain operations. Uh, easy thing to say, hard thing to uh, achieve. And so when we talk multi-domain operations, what is your perspective of where MSO fits? Is it the backbone? Is it glue? I mean, there's a lot of different terminology or images that we use to describe that. Uh, what are your thoughts on where MSO fits into the multi-domain operations uh, conversation? Jeff, I'll, I'll start with you. So here's the thing, right? I, I'm, I've always been an electromagnetic spectrum advocate, right? I believe it's a domain. I believe that it has its right place. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, if, you, if you ever knew Major slash Lieutenant Colonel Fisher way back in the day, uh, and John Knowles knows this, he, he gave me my breakout chance, right? So I wrote an uh, op-ed for JET back in 2011, September, 
that said uh, uh, it was talking about the EMS domain. Uh, and and John liked the article so much he put it on the cover. Uh, I didn't have to pay him. All right, he did it on his own. Uh, I don't know who bribed him, but uh, it's the first time that I ever gotten a cover in an op-ed. And uh, so it was, I was, it was I, all merit. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was really really. I, I'm still grateful to that. Uh, I don't know if John knows this, but my mom actually framed every single page of that article, and it's in this massive, uh, in the massive frame. Uh, I, I don't. It, every single time I moved in the military since the, the movers hated me, which was is quite funny. But uh, but it's framed. So thank thanks, mom. Uh, anyway, back to the, the issue, right? So I, I I do believe that 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 the electronic spectrum is important. I do believe it's a domain, but um, just because it's a domain. I don't argue that it's the most important domain, right? And I won't argue that any domain is the most important domain. I believe air, land, sea, space, cyber, the EMS, all these domains need to work together. And we need to start talking in terms of multi-domain operations, right? We need to have this, everything works together. And, and, and what's unique is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put cyber aside for just a second, but when we talk about the electronic spectrum, right, it's the one domain that you really can't see, right? So one domain you can't see, taste, or touch, but we all know it's there. If you get a spec analyzer and you look, you can see that the signal's hopping around, up and down, and it's really, really cool. In my personal opinion, it is the glue, right? It is the domain that's the glue that holds all the others together, right? It's the one that connects the air to the land, the land to the sea, the sea to the air. Uh, it is the one that uses not only by communications, but right by, by digital data link and, and, and RF energy and 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 without the electronic spectrum, without being able to master the electronic spectrum, without being able to master command and control through wireless means, you you as a military have a serious disadvantage in the battle space. And I, I this is one of the key things I'm going to talk about uh, on Wednesday during my lecture on on key lessons learned from from Ukraine. Right, um, Russia failed miserably, especially at the beginning of the war, on mastering the electronic spectrum, on being. They, they may have had some good technology, and, and, and that, that's still open for debate, right? There's, there's probably some foreign military exploitation going on, some of, some of this stuff that's been captured. But we'd always believe that they had good systems, that they had good radars. They had good S-300s. They had good S-400s. They had good jamming systems. Where did it break down, right? Did the intel get it wrong? Was there a lack of training? Was there uh, an issue where that they just didn't actually truly – dedicate themselves across what we call the dot mil pf construct to to employ these systems i i, I don't know time will tell yeah i think um i think uh jeff is is on to that i think he mentioned something that always strikes a core with me and again he's right about uh you know the, the it's gonna be a long time parsing through a lot of information before we really get a definitive view of what happened in the first year of the war with ukraine uh, from a russian perspective but I think one of the things that that I always think about, uh, again, c getting into the uh, the idea of, of integration is is training. You know, I, I don't know how the Russians trained, but I just I know what when when you're adding mission areas or expanding mission areas for for coalitions like NATO, uh, for alliances, uh, when you when you add things like airborne electronic attack or, or expand that, the training requirement is massive. It's huge. And, and, and especially in a place like Europe, where if you're trying to operate or train against s S-400, for example, and it's got a 400 kilometer range, you are very limited in the places you can go to practice, you know, multi, uh, you know, multi, multi ship tactics. 
uh, against an, an integrated air defense system with those capabilities. But I, I look at I look at Russia uh, in in their invasion. I think it was just seemed on the surface very uncoordinated, very poorly. Uh, they literally weren't interoperable groups. Well, thanks, John. Hello, everyone. I want to take a few minutes to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for their support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. To help me with that, I am pleased to be here with Sean Sanzelay, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Sean, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Ken. So to begin, BAE Systems is well known to our audience as a leader in EW, but Fast Labs might be a bit new. Uh, can you tell us how your part of the organization Fast Labs fits into BA Systems? Yeah, sure. But before I get into that, yeah, BA Systems, like you said, has been a long, long-time leader in EW. In fact, we have a, more than 60 years of experience and our electronic warfare systems have flown on over 120 platforms and operate on 80% of the U.S. military's fixed-wing aircraft. Over 95% of the U.S. Army's rotary wing aircraft and many platforms fielded by our U.S. allies. BA Systems Fast Labs, which is the research and development arm of the company, is all about pushing the boundaries of what's possible. We're dedicated to innovating disruptive next-generation solutions for critical defense and intelligence challenges with a particular focus on advanced AI, electronic warfare, and cyber technologies. More specifically, the part of Fast Labs that I work for focuses on advanced electronics that will enable next-generation solutions. In our work with leading DoD customers like DARPA and AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will advance future solutions, from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We often talk on this show about pushing boundaries in terms of keeping up with technology advancements. What technologies have been created out of Fast Labs, and what problems are you solving on a daily basis for the warfighter? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, our FastLabs EW R&D team is on a, a mission to ensure that our defense customers have top-notch electronic protection, really kind of focusing on making sure that they have superior situational awareness on the battlefield. For example, we've developed technologies that offer the longest sensor range in the industry, lightning-fast threat detection, anti-jamming measures, and, and lots more. These are essential because today's adversaries are using increasingly agile and unfamiliar signals to counter EW systems and target platforms more effectively. Our critical EW technologies empower our warfighter systems to swiftly detect, identify, and jam both known and unknown threats. We achieve this using adaptive signal processing, machine learning, and intelligent algorithms. Additionally, we've advanced distributed EW systems which boost battle space awareness and coordinate across multiple EW sensors, platforms, and attack capabilities. These systems handle sensor tasking, data links, sensor fusion, and coordinated jamming, making them really invaluable for the warfighter and, and for our customers and for the DoD as a whole. That's a tremendous portfolio to keep track of. What can you tell us about what Fast Labs is working on now? Sure, yeah. Yeah, as you might expect, uh, there's, we're working a lot of cool things and we've got a lot of things on the horizon and I also can't talk about most of them here. But if you just take a look at a couple of like the recent awards that we've announced publicly, you'll see some of the interesting things and impactful projects that we're working on. For example, in December, the U.S. Department of Commerce announced approximately $35 million in initial funding for BA Systems to modernize our microelectronics center in Nashua, New Hampshire. This is the first funding announcement as part of the Chips and Science Act, which is designed to strengthen American manufacturing, supply chains, and national security. 
The funding, along with internal investments, will help purchase new, more efficient manufacturing tools to mitigate supply chain risk, increase production capacity, and reduce our time to build products. Increased efficiency will enable a scale-up in production to meet the increasing demand for the DoD. And just before that, in November, we announced a $5 million award from the Office of Naval Research for the COALESCE program. COALESCE, in case you're not familiar, long acronym, but it stands for Common Architecture Amplifier for Low-Cost, Efficient, Swap-Constrained Environments. In this effort, we are advancing our gallium nitride integrated circuit solutions as well as our low-swap module electronics. The program's objective is to develop the world's highest efficiency high-power amplifier module in its frequency band. The RF modules will then transition to small form factor U.S. Navy payloads, enabling longer range and greater effectiveness in active electronic warfare applications. So then what is next for Fast Labs and BE Systems Technology Development? And if our listeners are interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, without getting into too many specifics, like I said, not only so much I can say here, but it's safe to say that we're going to continue to work with our partners and teammates in industry within academic research and, of course, with our customers to uh, assure that we are continuing to innovate for the benefit of the warfighter. If you're interested in finding out more, I encourage your listeners to take a look at basystems.com, a wealth of information on what BA Systems as a whole is kind of working on. Well, thank you, Sean, for taking time to join me. This has been fascinating to learn a little bit more about Fast Labs, and I truly do appreciate it. And now it's time to get back to our show. Right now, I, I am standing next to AOC President Brian Hinckley. Uh, he is uh, he is also here representing, uh, of course, our our association here at, at AOC Europe. Uh, Brian, welcome to From the Crow's Nest. Uh, once again, we had you back on in the fall, right before you took your office as president, and now you're here at AOC Europe. Uh, tell me what's, what's going on in your mind as you're walking through the exhibit floor here today. So, Ken, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, it's exciting, and we're all looking forward to the networking. You know, it's, it's something that AOC brings. Uh, we are dedicated to our members, as you know, and it's all about the members, and it's all about we do some advocacy. We certainly provide a lot of things like this podcast um, to to strengthen our members, to provide some education. But uh, one of the best parts is this is a, a community of EW experts for EW experts, and, and we love to get together. So I think there's a lot of people here that might not yet be members that I think will be members by the time the conference is over. Um, so before I... I brought you on, I was having a conversation with uh, Colonel Fisher and John Knowles about the role that EMSO plays when we talk about multi-domain operations. Um, and I've made a point on the show that it's really the backbone of what we do. Could, do you have any comments on, on what you expect to hear about the role that EMSO plays in achieving multi-domain operations here this week? Um, when, you talk about, uh, when you talk about EMSO uh, and you talk about the EMS, certainly, you, you, if you're not talking about electronic warfare, you're not talking about multi-domain uh, operations. So um, our ability to be able to connect, our ability to be able to ensure connectivity, whether you use a lexicon like EMSO or whether you use a lexicon for JADC2 or, uh, you know, it's the, it's the ability for our forces to to be able to use and to be able to maneuver in that electromagnetic battle space uh, with impunity and, and to use it when we need to use it and to deny it to our adversaries when we need to deny, degrade, delay 
to those forces. When we talk traditionally about EW, a lot of times it goes right to airborne electronic attack, but mm-hmm. that's only a small slice and becoming an increasingly smaller slice of the e- EMS and so uh, conversation. And it includes SIGINT and it includes uh, in- intelligence collection and, and analysis and, and a whole range of other capabilities. Uh, talk a little bit about when we, you know, it's, it's multi-capability integration as well. Any, any thoughts on that matter? Yeah, it certainly is. And, um, you know, I, I would also throw in directed energy there, right? I mean, you've got EMP, you've got directed energy weapons. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of crazy terms out there that people choose to use or, or people move on to new terms. Uh, but it is, it's non-kinetic. Uh, you know, these are non-kinetic effects. It's non-kinetic warfare. Um, the key is truly bringing weapons systems and personnel together that understand how physics is physics and they understand how to maneuver within the electromagnetic spectrum battle space you know whether or not it's a domain i mean domain quite honestly has become a a political funding word so i i would argue that maybe the only reason that it's not a domain is, uh, is probably because it would require that it be given specific funding. And, and, and that probably got in the way because yeah. you could certainly argue that um, it is its own domain. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Colonel Fisher, John, uh, Eric, uh, any of the speakers that we have, do you have any comments to, to what you heard from Brian Hinckley? I'll jump in. The domain discussion has been pretty important to, to Jed and to the AOC community uh, for a long time. Um, I s- still think, um, I'm a, I'm a domain advocate. Um, not because just because of the, the, uh, real politic of it, uh, in terms of funding the, the, Ken, you and I have talked about this for, you know, 25 plus years, the, the EW, the pattern in the EW, um, in the EW, industry and and in the ew just community has been a roller coaster of attention and funding in solving problems and then you go down the down slope and it's ignored and allowed to atrophy and then we get into a conflict and we have to spend our time building it back up figuring out the next threat and and that was okay back in the day when the ems wasn't a strategic maneuver space in the in, in the conflict, uh, in, and I would say the days of Vietnam, uh, place, uh, times like that. But today, the EMS is a strategic maneuver space. Controlling it through EW is strategic, and you can't play a, a uh, fund it and starve it uh, uh, pattern. You can't, you can't uh, manage it that way. No country can do that. And so I feel that if domain status helps to smooth out the hills and valleys of the uh, attention and the funding, uh, then that is a good thing. It depends on who you ask. If you ask the warfighter, I think they'll usually tell you it's domain and they, they need to, to strategic maneuver space and they have operational responsibility for controlling it and using it and managing it. And that's pretty critical. Um, if you ask the services because they think in sort of, um, they don't think about operational responsibility so much as train, man and equip, uh, they tend to think about it as a resource issue um, and they would like it to be a simpler world where they don't have to deal with another domain. 
So I still think it's important for us to make that point that it is a, it is a strategic maneuver space. It is something you can't win without it. Uh, you can't, you need to control it and be able to use it, uh, when, uh, any, any fighting force today has to do that. And in order to win and, uh, and to be successful in operations. So uh, that would just be my, my one, and it's not a disagreement with Hanks. He, he's just being realistic about, uh, about it. Well, and I think, you know, this, that's, that's the key thing about the AOC is, you know, there is just, there, there is a difference of understanding on how we define things throughout the association. That's what happens when you have an international association, even within country, because you're dealing with so many, you're dealing with different services, different domains, different capabilities. Um, and this is an association that has a lot of difference of opinion. That's what makes advocacy on my end such a hard thing because I always say, you know, one third will agree with you, one third will disagree with you, and one third won't care because it's not in, in you know, in, in their ballpark. So uh, appreciate that. Um, at, at this time, I'd like to bring on my next guest. Uh, he is a longtime friend, uh, retired U.S. Marine Corps Colonel uh, Mark Magram, uh, call sign Mags. Uh, he is uh, he is the president of Atkinson Aeronautics and Technology and a retired EA6B pilot uh, from the Marine Corps. And I wanted to bring him on because he's uh, involved in some really interesting efforts uh, on EW and, and MSO training, and as well as making uh, improving live virtual constructive world of, of, of capability. Uh, so, with that, I'd like to to welcome uh, Mag from the Crow's Nest here live at AS. Hey, thanks, Ken. Uh, so so uh, we, we, had, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago. I was down in San Antonio, met with you at, at, at your office. There was a great opportunity to sit down and talk with you a little bit more uh, in-depthly about what Atkinson Aeronautics is involved in. Talk to us a little bit about you know, what you want to accomplish coming here to AOC Europe with, as it involves training. Yeah, sure. So, you know, historically, Ken, Atkinson has been uh, kind of involved in the nav air, uh, electronic warfare, electromagnetic spectrum operations space, just kind of being involved in program management. A few years back, uh, kind of uh, maybe a year pre-COVID, we were offered the opportunity to take on an FMS training in San Antonio, where I live, uh, teaching the Royal Saudi Air Force kind of a master's level EW program. And it's a multi-year master's level program kind of designed at taking uh, not pilots and not EWs, but basically electrical engineers with a few um, uh, software engineers sprinkled in and teaching them uh, the basics all the way out to some advanced level uh, concepts. And, and what we did was we took that opportunity and we kind of branched out into some other uh, efforts at, at international and, and U.S.-based uh, MSO training. And so we've got, uh, clearly we're not offering, or we're happy to offer a multi-year program, but we recognize most uh, countries and most organizations are not interested in that. So we've pared it down to one, two, three-week courses uh, that we can offer either as a mobile training team or on site at uh, San Antonio. Now, as part of that, uh, I know you guys have been talking some Ukraine uh, stuff, and I would say as part of that, we, we took on uh, working with a, um, a software called MACE, Modern Air Combat Environment, which is a really fantastic EW uh, software tool. We don't make it. Uh, a company called BSI, Battlefield uh, Simulation Incorporated, makes it. But uh, we are 
now after having used it, we're kind of partnered with them. We provide some of their training uh, when they sell licenses, but we also uh, kind of embraced it and, and looked at what else it could do other than just a training tool. And some of that is to uh, basically incorporate it with a, a software-defined radio, which is what I talked a little bit with you about uh, in San Antonio. So we're calling that um, our ADRS system, all-domain replication system. And, and what we've got is, is taking uh, the MACE software, uh, basically writing a software program to integrate it into a software-defined radio, we don't make either of those systems, but we're the integrator. And what we think we found is, is kind of a, a low-cost solution in the uh, live virtual constructive environment, which, you, you know, it's been a buzzword since I was active duty many years ago. So um, the idea is, is uh, right now we've got a number of use cases that, that we're developing. One is uh, with uh, uh, the NATO Tactical Leadership Program, TLP, in Albacete, Spain. Uh, they've embraced that, that MACE model. They've got like 38 licenses, and it's kind of a um, showroom for BSI uh, in its capabilities, but they're really not using it or could be using it to a more full potential. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted to ask you, you know, specifically about that because um, one of the advantages that I think that coalition forces have along with in support of Ukraine was training and the, and the readiness. And we, and we, we've talked in the past about this idea of, you know, democratizing decision-making and, and, and seeing those elements play out in the battlefield. Um, all that has to do with training and making sure that we're ready. Uh, that really provided an advantage early on in, in the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, the importance of the training piece and how do you train across coalition forces when, you know, uh, you know, when you have a number of different services and as well as countries participating in the fight with different standards coming in. I mean, and, and, and that's really kind of what you're trying to get to with live virtual constructive training and so forth. But could you talk a little bit about the importance of that in coalition warfare? Sure. And, and let me start by saying I, I've heard myself off track there, but uh, we did provide uh, the, the folks at BSI were kind enough to offer up um, several, I believe, uh, 10 or 11 uh, free licenses to the country of Ukraine in their efforts. And it's not, it's not just a training software. It, it can be, it's the Air Force's programmer record for JTAC training. And it's, uh, it, it's a multifaceted software. Uh, likewise, it's used down in SOCOM for mission rehearsal, mission, um, um, mission planning, sorry. Um, for some of their forces. And so uh, with that offering to Ukraine, we sent two of our MACE instructors to Ukraine back in, I believe it was late January, for uh, a week of, of training with their forces. So those guys are, have that system, uh, have that software integrated and, and are using it. And, and we were uh, sure proud to, to participate that and happy to, uh, to, to try and help them along. As far as, you know, coalition EW training, yeah, I, you know, and I had some of that back when in my active duty days and, and uh, at the Juke when uh, guys like Judge Bork and I and others were, you know, were working on uh, joint EW training courseware. 
So you want to, you know, you want to try and speak one language. You want to try and, and uh, uh, convey, you know, across, across the spectrum, uh, not, not to, to make light of it, but, uh, um, you, you know, you want to, you want to try and, and, and all operate from the same sheet of music. And I think to some degree, um, we've gotten there. I certainly, uh, you know, still recognize that, that certain countries, uh, approach AMSO differently, but I think, uh, I think overall, uh, the, you know, the war in Iraq, the, the war in Afghanistan and a lot of the coalition efforts have, have kind of gelled EW efforts to a point where I think we can, uh, all work with one another. Um, I don't know if, uh, I think Andy East is up. Yeah. Is yeah, he, uh, Andrew, welcome to From the Crow's Nest here live at AOC Europe. I appreciate you having us today. Thank you. So Andrew East, call sign Mongo. Uh, Mongo and I go back to the uh, early 90s flying together and uh, serving together. He's a, a Marine EA-6B ECMO. So uh, my apologies, you had the pilot speak first. You should have had the, uh, the, the smart guy here with Mongo. But uh, he's kind of the architect on the... Uh, the ADRS system we're working. And uh, uh, he's also still uh, actively engaged. He supports Point Magoo uh, in their Marine Air Ground Task Force electronic warfare efforts. Uh, and then he's also our uh, Vice President of International Sales with Atkinson. So with that, Mongo, I'll turn it over to you. Hey, thanks, Mags. And Ken, appreciate you having us today. I'll just cover down a little bit on what, what Mags talked about with the the adder system that we're trying to put together. And really, this is a, a culmination of, of multiple different um, requests we've had and, and uh, gaps that we've seen out in the industry. So it kind of started with what Mike's talked about with the Marine Corps looking for a more congested and contested environment to train in. If you've been following Ukraine, uh, the issues over there over the last year, you can see that EW has taken a forefront, uh, electromagnetic spectrum operations has taken a forefront into what's going on over there. And in the past, as we all know, being in the EW uh, world, that after conflicts, um, the, the funding for EW capabilities tends to dip uh, severely until the next crisis kicks off and then they find it important again and start funding again. We haven't necessarily seen that um, in the last few years. The importance, as we've seen with the spectrum strategy, dominant strategy and everything else that's come out from DOD uh, and, and the services has recognized that um, spectrum information is a key component to winning the next battle. Um, with that, the Marine Corps requested a ability to have a more realistic, congested, contested environment. We, as Max talked about, don't necessarily build the hardware, uh, but we have the links into the folks that do build hardware, and we have the subject matter expertise to provide that capability <clears throat> to the organizations. So what we did is we worked with a hardware vendor to, uh, to find a moderately cost uh, solution to their problem and taking a software-defined radio and custom waveforms we're able to replicate spectrum, um, both background spectrum and then signals of interest for the uh, the Marine Corps to take a look at and work through the problem uh, with their units as they come uh, come through 29 Palms to do their large force exercises in preparation for deployments. Um, that then expanded into uh, we had a request as as Mag talked about um, from TLP in Spain, Tactical Leadership Program. 
because they're using MACE and they have a disjointed capability there in which they use MACE as a modeling and SIM tool to do some planning and some uh, understanding of um, you know missions. And then they have a live fly exercise in which they bring in hardware and they run it on the range. But the they wanted the ability to merge the two. Can I merge the physical domain with the simulated synthetic domain? And they asked if it, asked us if it was uh, if we were able to do that. We took a hack RF, just a small SDR, and incorporated it into Mace to show that we could command and control and visualize it from Mace, and that sparked their interest. And so now, as Max talked about, we're on a journey to uh, at the end of June to go over there and provide a. Um, threat replication system. So, yeah, I just wanted to interject, you know, so we were talking earlier on the show about how, you know, the defense, European defense agencies uh, across Europe are, are, are really starting to spend more on MSO capabilities, um, especially, obviously, in response to the, the, the war in Ukraine. Uh, how has how have you seen the, the European market evolve uh, uh, as it pertains to really this interest in, in, in MSO training? We've seen the increase quite a bit in the interest of it. The, the the needle you have to thread is is price that we're finding. Can you provide a a useful capability for them for training at a I'm not saying low cost, but at a reasonable cost? You know, from the U.S. side of the house, where you we're used to the you know the Department of Defense budget, which is huge compared to anything else in the world, right? Um, so when you start talking to European nations, they don't have that budget. And so where there are capabilities out there, um, the cost at times is prohibitive for them to bring in some of those capabilities. So what we're finding is there is a lot of interest in it, but they also have to you know, live in the realism of what their uh, checkbooks can pay for. So we're having those discussions, uh, starting to have some of those discussions with the folks now. I'll pause there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. And with that, you know, Mags, you know, I hand it over to you for the last word. Yeah, just to, to touch on one comment on the uh, kind of the European interest in EW. What, uh, you know, we went to EW Live back in uh, September in Estonia with BSI, the makers of MACE. And what we found was the predominant question was, was what, what do you have in the way of ground EW? And so, uh, you know, and it speaks to, again, budgets and that, you know, there's, you know, to get an airborne electronic warfare program can be uh, cost prohibitive. But um, most of the nation's armies are, are certainly equipped with uh, signals intelligence type capabilities. And so to that end, we, we recently completed a... Uh, uh, a ground EW course as well, which um, in addition to some European partners asking for that, um, we've got some folks out at uh, Crane and other places in the U.S. that are uh, equally interested in that type of training. So we're trying to broaden, even though, you you know, you're talking to two former EA6B guys, uh, electronic warfare principles and the, the physics that go along with it are the same. So um, we're trying to capitalize on that. But, but just in closing, Ken, I'd say... Uh, uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, oh, well, thanks, Mags and, and Andrew for, for taking time to, to join us here from the Crow's Nest. Um, really, really appreciate your thoughts on the issue and hope you can join us throughout the uh, throughout the week. Um, uh, and with that, I thank everyone for taking time to join us here from the Crow's Nest this afternoon. 
That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you missed AOC Europe this year, don't worry. Look for it next year in 2024 in Oslo, Norway. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTCNHost. Thanks for listening. FastLabs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research and development. We're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check us out at www.baesystems.com slash FastLabs.